0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I'm here in New York City, and I have the privilege of talking to Eric Metaxas. Welcome, Eric, to the Beeson Podcast. Well,
1: let me begin Uh, by correcting you and saying, no, no, no. It is I who have the privilege of speaking with you, and I mean that sincerely. I'm so happy that you're here in New York City, despite the rain and the cold.
0: Thank you, Eric. Well, you know, there's probably not a single person listening to my voice who doesn't know who Eric Metaxas is. But just in case you're a first-time listener you never heard of Eric Metaxas, he is a New York Times number one best-selling author of a fabulous book, Bonhoeffer, Pastor, martyr, prophet, spy. He also is a voice on Breakpoint. He also has done so many other things and written so many other things. I'm even leaving out Veggie
1: Tales, Eric. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't <laughs> mention veggie tales. Oh, okay. Thank you. My goodness.
0: Uh, Anyway, he's a friend. He's also a member of the Manhattan Declaration Board. Uh, We we have been together on a number of occasions, and we're here today to talk primarily about his brand new book, Hot Off the Press, called Miracles. Yes. You've written a new book, Eric, Miracles. Yes, and
1: you realize, uh, it's embarrassing to say this of somebody that I revere, but C.S. Lewis stole this title from me in 1947, (laughs) years before I was born. I don't know how he did that, but he did. Um, Actually, I should say that um, to write a book on miracles with the title Miracles, you know, the first thing to do is be embarrassed because you're stealing C.S. Lewis's title. But the book is so different from Lewis's book Mm -hmm. that I don't feel uh, as embarrassed as I might. It really is. it's, it's, It's dramatically different. He was writing, I would say probably to an academic Mm -hmm. uh, readership, and my book is more geared toward a a popular audience.
0: Your book is filled with wonderful stories, miracle stories. Now, what criteria did you use in choosing these stories? How how did you do this?
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, I I first of all have to say that the the book wasn't my idea. It's a a really odd way uh, of, of beginning a book, by by saying to an editor and publisher, Brian Tart, at Dutton Penguin here in New York City, that I don't want to write this. He, kept, he, he heard me tell a miracle story at lunch. We were having lunch, talking about nothing particular, and in my sort of evangelistic way, I can't help sharing God stories. And I've had a number of outrageous miracles. There's no other way to put it. And so I shared one or two with him, and he just said, you've got to write a book on miracles. Everybody's interested in this idea. And he pursued me. Really, for a year, and I'm not used to being pursued by by uh, publishers, and I kept saying no. I don't know what I would write about, and finally, uh, he persuaded me, uh, and my wife thought I should write about it, and so I thought, okay, I guess I'll just write about what I want to write about. I've got a lot of thoughts. On my mind about the miraculous, about faith, about the intersection of uh, faith and science, and let me just see what comes out. So I, I began to write, and I knew that I'd have some miracle stories in the book. Um, and but as I did research, I thought, what what kind of miracles would I want to put in there? And then you start realizing that there is almost an infinity of these kinds of stories. I thought, let me keep it simple. Let me keep it focused. I will only put stories in that either happened to me personally. There's a couple in there that happened to me personally or that happened to people that I know personally. Most of them are close friends. I thought if I keep it focused this way, in a way, it'll have something of a biographical feel because I'm talking about people that I know. But also, and most importantly, I know that I can trust these people. These are people that I've in most cases known for years. I know that they're not lying. I know that they're not crazy. And there's I think that it's no different than in a court of law. This is not scientific proof, but it's like in a court of law, you listen to people and you try to make a determination. Is this true? Uh, what's the larger narrative? If I hear 10 stories like this from 10 witnesses, does this, you know, uh, bolster the larger idea? So I said, I'm only going to put in stories of people I know. So there are about 30 stories in here. And really the, um, other criteria are that I said they have to sound like a good story. In other words, I, I, I heard a number of stories that, were, in a way, amazing miracles. But when you try to tell it, mm. it just doesn't come across. It's like, okay, it does. It somehow it doesn't. It's. I realize that in most cases, it's the details of mm. the story. Mm. Um, so it had to because I was writing a book and because I care about storytelling. I said I want these. Stories, most of them, to be the kinds of stories that 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 come across as a story, as something that you tell somebody, and they'd say, "Oh my goodness, that's incredible." Uh, As opposed to, you know, I prayed for so and so, the tumor went away, and you think, "Well, it's not much of a story, even though it sounds like a miracle." So, I uh, that was something that I thought was important. But then, related to that is this idea that it's very important to me that when I say something's a miracle, that it's clear that it's not just an amazing coincidence. It has to be a little bit more than just extraordinary. It has to somehow partake of the transcendent and and you have to get that when you're reading it. So there were a number of stories that seemed somewhat miraculous, but didn't really, um, I guess they didn't reach that bar that I had set. I, I said, it really needs to sound like it couldn't be a, a coincidence. Now, tell so, us one of your own miracle stories. Uh-oh. Um, all right. One of my own miracle stories. This well, in, in the book. The, the ones that are in the book? Yeah, there, there are so many. It's one of the reasons I, don't, I didn't want to write this in the first place, because I want to write an autobiographical, uh, you know, sort of, sort of spiritual memoir where I tell these stories. I've had about 10. And um, th- the problem with most of them is that it is in the details, so they tend to be long um i will if if you ask me to tell you one i will say probably the most important one is the first one in the summer of 1988 and this is in the book i had a, a dream i was not a christian i was it's kind of funny cuz it relates to the the larger book and the whole idea of miracles i was desperately wanting to know If this is all there is, is the material universe, the natural universe, is this all there is? And I had the same curiosity that anyone has, although it was particularly focused because I was in my early 20s, just going through a rough patch in life, trying to make sense of the world. And I I was was fascinated that there's some people who say, oh, I know God, I've heard from God. And I thought, I'm sure that even if there is a God and if the God of the Bible is real, I'm sure that we can't know that. I'm sure that we are sort of trapped inside this, we're sealed inside this universe of time and space, and we can never know what's beyond it, whether there's anything beyond it. And so um, there's a guy, actually, the book is dedicated to him. And the de- dedication is a reference to John Cheever's first novel. We can talk about that another time. But I, I, I was talking to this dear friend, Ed Tuttle, and he was sharing things with me and sharing things with me, and I wasn't really buying it. And then at some point, after months of these elliptical conversations, I had a dream. And this is the first miracle that ever happened to me. And uh, I don't even want to give you the details because it's so complicated, but it was absolutely life-changing. God, Jesus revealed himself to me in the dream in a way that I know, I don't say I hope or I think, I know was real. It was It was God speaking to me. There, there are details of it. And again, there, there are too many of them, but when you read that chapter, you'll see that this it, the brain is hardly capable of concocting something like this it's so extraordinary and God really what he did is he up he he went up to me with my own symbol system I had this kind of baroque way of seeing things this universalist probably eastern view of God and this dream just was an answer to that and it was so mind-blowing that I woke up and I thought game over mm. I've accepted Jesus even if I don't want to I, I'm in this, you know, the most reluctant convert in all of England to UCS Lewis. So I just thought, I'm stuck. Now I know. And it was so transformative that it opened, it changed my life, and that's 26 years ago, and it, and it opened me to the miraculous, because I thought, if God can speak to me in that way, even if it's just once in my life... I know that this is real. And so since then, there have been a number of other uh, experiences I've had. And then I've talked to so many people that have had outrageous stories. And I- I'm like anybody else. Actually, maybe I-, I should say I'm more critical. When I hear a-, a miracle story, I really, I demand that everything be just right. I, I don't say, oh, well, who knows? You know, if if, if I don't know, then I'm not going to say it's miraculous. Mm-hmm. But I've heard so many stories that um, and again, most of those are in the book, but that, that are just they're so outrageous and beautiful and amazing. And I would say um, at least not easily refutable that I say this is a, a type of evidence and that people need to know that this evidence is out there, even if you don't like it or if you don't come to the same conclusions that I do. My question to the reader uh, especially to skeptics or people who don't know what they believe is what do you make of this? Mm. Uh, so that, that's uh, So
0: miracles are a sign that one, one of the things in reading your book it, it is a book that's filled with hope that encourages hope Yes that causes you to, to wonder and to think is there a God out there who messes right. with our lives? That's,
1: well that, see that's the thing and, and also to know what the limits are and you know with a lot of my books I direct them in both directions simultaneously there are people who are sneeringly skeptical of God, of anything beyond this world. And to those people, I say, I have nothing to say to you. If you're sneeringly dismissive, as many of the activist atheists are, I really have nothing to say. It's not about, you know, doubtful disputations and arguments and things. If you want to believe, I, I have nothing to sell. Either this is true or it's not. It's kind of like arguing about the periodical table. Uh, you know, basically, there it is. If you don't like it, what can I do for you? It's That's what science has led us to. And I think that we're talking about things here that, Um, you know, if, if, if you have an open mind, most people have an open mind. I say, let's, let's discuss these things. And then there are people, well, okay, so people on one side that sneer at this, then there's most people in the middle have an open mind. They're not sure what they believe. But then there are people who are too gullible. They're, they're, they're too, quick to say that was the Lord or something. And I say, wait a minute, you don't do God any favors by gilding the lily, by putting a little evangelical spin on it here. If it's really God, he doesn't need your help. Just tell the facts, just the facts, man, you know. Mm. And I think that that's very important that we bring our critical minds. Mm. So on the one hand, uh, what I'm saying is that we need to be sometimes skeptical and critical, but then other times, and this is to respond to what you, you said, is that, Other times we need to be encouraged that this is real and that God wants us to know. He wants us to know this more than we want to know this. He wants us to know that he's there, that he wants to speak to us. He may not speak to us when we want him to speak to us, but the point is he really is there and he's capable of things that are glorious and amazing. And by reading these examples, I hope the reader will be encouraged to say that, hey, this is real. This is not my imagination. All
0: all Christians, I think... uh, should and do, if they believe the Bible, um, believe in miracles. Jesus did miracles. But a lot of people say that was way back then. Right. It's not today. Right, But but you have a sense that miracles really do and can and are happening?
1: Well, but th- this is the whole thing is that what can you do? You know, if, if, if uh, I go into the other room and I meet Abraham Lincoln, right, people can laugh at me, but I mean, I'm stuck with what's happened to me. And so if if I have experienced the miraculous, and again, people can judge for themselves by reading my stories, but it seems so clear to me that I'm stuck with this. And so the question is now, what do you do with it? What does it do to one's theology? Mm. It forces me to say that perhaps God is not in the business of parting the Red Sea. Perhaps uh, God is not in the business of of making axe heads float. But all I can say is he is in the business of doing this thing and that thing and these things that I have seen and talked to people about. And the more I look into it the more I think he's he is doing miracles today, uh, and i I think that because we live in such a secular culture, we don 't hear them, yeah and that 's part of why I wrote the book. I said these stories need to be told, this evidence needs to get out there
0: you now some people ask me, why are miracles reported in Africa and other places yeah. around the world among believers, and it may just be that you- they have ears to hear. They have eyes to see. That we, in our West, we, we, we've been, uh, in a sense, anesthetized.
1: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. And I think I write about this in, in the book. I'm not sure, but I, I I can't remember. But I say that, on the one hand, it's what you said, eyes to see. And on the other hand, isn't it true that in places like that, they are they are really unable to rely on the things of this world? They don't have... We, in this, in the West comfortable as we are, wealthy as we are, we can get most things done on our own. We're not forced to, to, you know, to to depend on God in this kind of utter way. I think that's part of it. I really do think that's part of it. But I think another big thing that I I say over and over in the book is that we have to be comfortable when our answer is, I don't know. We don't feel, we shouldn't feel that I have to have an answer. I've got to have some Christian theologically correct answer. If the answer is, I don't know let's be honest. I think God, you know, wants us to be honest and to say, I don't know. Let me tell you what I do know, but I'm not going to pretend I have some easy answer. And so I do deal with the hard questions about miracles. People say, you know, how can a good God allow suffering? You say he healed that person or that person. Well, what about these people? And what about that person? There's a story in the book, an amazing story happened right here in New York. Friend of mine heard the voice of God while she was in the Twin Towers while they were being attacked. And God spoke to her and said, don't go that way, go that way. And she left her colleague and went in a different direction. She lived. Her colleague died. Now, this is a dear friend of mine, and she's told this story many times and all the details. But then at some point you have to say, what about her friend? Why didn't he hear the voice of God? Did God not care? We have to be able to face those questions. As much as we celebrate the miraculous and we should celebrate it, we also have to say, well, it's interesting. Well, how do I answer that? Because people get angry at a God- who comes across as capricious? What do I say to those people? So I deal with that stuff in the book as well, because people uh, who are either athe- atheists or agnostics of goodwill deserve to have some answers to those questions.
0: It is dimension of mystery. You know, you know, there is something we might call miracle mongering.
1: That's right. Uh, within yeah. a certain
0: sector of the right. Christian world, where miracles are on sale. You, you bottle them. You, you package yeah. them. yeah. Uh, It's too manipulative.
1: Of course. And that's always the case. And that's the thing. You know, people are always tempted to go to throw the baby out with the bathwater to say, okay, because of all this manipulative stuff, because something I saw on a Benny Hinn crusade I didn't like, I throw the whole thing away. That's completely wrong. That's like saying, because I, I don't understand everything about science, science is stupid. You can't be that way. You have to be able to filter out the nonsense and say, okay, but what is real? And again, that's what I'm trying to do in this book to say, look just because they're things I don't understand, let's talk about what we do understand. It's no different than science, frankly, right? I mean, there are things that scientists don't understand, but they don't say, well, let's chuck the whole system. Mm-hmm. They say, well, let's talk about what we do know, and eventually, perhaps, an answer will come if we keep following the evidence and and try to be faithful to it. So I, I, I feel the same way um, about miracles, just because we've seen abuses. I've seen all kinds of abuses and flesh and nonsense and sin. I've also seen... God speak and move and do things, and I'm, you know, I'm responsible for both.
0: That's a great answer. Uh, let, let me ask you a question you don't address in the book, but you might have an opinion. What would Dietrich Bonhoeffer think about miracles?
1: Well, I think he'd recommend the book to all his friends <laughs> and family. In fact, I'm sure of it. No, uh, it's it. I say right in the beginning of the book, in all seriousness, two of my greatest heroes in the faith, Wilberforce and Bonhoeffer, about whom I've written books, of course, Um don 't seem to write anything about the miraculous, which proves that we don 't need to worry if we haven 't experienced it it doesn 't mean that we are a second rate Christian. Uh, the two of these great heroes of the faith don 't seem to have dealt with much in the way of the miraculous, and so I think that it 's a great caution for us to say that God is God, and He communicates to all of us in different ways to some of us it 's very subtle. Uh, to some of it's, it's, it's so subtle that you, you, you hardly know it's the Lord. And I think I look at the life of Bonhoeffer and the life of Wilberforce. It's clear that God directed them and guided them, but, but it doesn't seem to have been in ways that would have, would have made uh, their way into the book, you know. And so I think that that's a, it's a helpful corrective to, to people who say everyone's got to experience the miraculous. Now, that being said, I would say everyone ought to want to experience the miraculous because um, God often wants to speak to us and it's it's there's so many different ways that he can speak to us that's another thing that I find interesting is that it's not just because I read it this way it's got to happen this way or this way and in the book I try to give a breadth of ways that God communicates sometimes it's through um, uh, circumstances sometimes it's an audible voice sometimes it's an inner knowing a voice uh, sometimes there's angelic involvement Uh, there's so many different things. And I I said, I want to put this this array of things in the book so people know that God is God. He doesn't necessarily do things the way we expect. And, of course, there are dreams and visions.
0: We serve a great and mighty and mysterious God. And what you're calling for, I think, is uh, to be open to this reality.
1: Uh, Open your heart to this reality.
0: And when you read this book, it's a wonderful book to give someone uh, who's maybe just questioning, who... You know, who maybe never had a miracle, and wondered are are there miracles? This this book is a way of probing the heart on those kind of questions. Now, I want you to pretend, Eric, that I am a skeptic. Now, now I'm a born again Christian. Uh, I'm not even a Calvinist, for heaven's sake. <laughs> but you pretend now that I'm yeah. a skeptic, that I'm an unbeliever, yeah. and I've just come across this book, Miracles: What They Are, Why They Happen, and How They Can Change Your Life yeah. by Eric Metaxas.
1: Why in the world would I be interested in this kind of book? Well, um, first of all, let me say that, in fact, I wrote the book for people who are not on the same page as we would be theologically. I said, I want a book that my friends can give their friends and that, that it is, it's written for a mainstream audience. There's no Christian speak in there. I go out of my way to communicate on a popular middle American level, not speaking to the evangelical or Catholic ghetto, but to speak to everybody. And the reason for that, and this gets to talking to skeptics, is that it's my opinion that just about everybody, except for a couple of sneering, closed-minded ideologues, just about everybody is interested in what is the nature of reality. It's no different than being interested in science. It is uh, related. It's the same thing. We're saying, what is the nature of this universe? Is there something beyond this universe? What created this universe? Did someone create the universe? And if so, what's the nature of that someone or something? Everybody ought to out of pure curiosity to want to know these things. So I said, I wanna write a book that deals with that. So the first part of the book, there's a lot of science in it. Mm-hmm. And that to me is addressed, uh, I mean, it's addressed to everybody for sure, but also um, to skeptics, because I wanna say in those chapters, what do you make of this? In other words, I'm not gonna tell you what to think. Uh, I hate it when people tell me what to think, but I'm just gonna lay out this evidence and these arguments and say, What do you make of this? If you're open-minded, what do you make of this? This seems to me rather overwhelming in favor of God. It doesn't mean that it proves anything. Um, The chapters on science, I talk about the compatibility of science and faith and the idea that science and faith are incompatible is absolutely one of the most foul lies ever to creep into culture. It's a pure lie. The God of the Bible, if he exists, is a God of science, history, facts, evidence, truth. The idea that somehow faith is at odds with with uh, with science and, and what we can know by science, it's just ridiculous. And so I talk about that. I talk about a number of incredibly prominent scientists who were very serious about God. And even if they weren't uh, devout, who had a very... Deep respect for the point of view that says there's something beyond this world. There's a creator who created the universe. And then there are two chapters where I talk, and this is really, it was stunning to me. I talk about the so-called fine-tuned universe. This evidence that scientists, science gives us, forget about theologians and pastors, and, and science is telling us that the conditions for the creation of this universe are so Outrageously, astonishingly, jaw-droppingly fine-tuned—that it's frightening. You look mm. at it and you say, "What? In the, this doesn't make sense. It can't be," and yet it is. And so, uh, Ed Hoyle, who came up with the term "the Big Bang" in the fifties on the BBC, he was an atheist. He said that when he looked at some of this fine-tuning, his atheism was deeply shaken. Mm. And I think that the, the headline is: Science is pointing us to God. Even if it doesn't get you all the way there, there are a couple of chapters where I talk about all these little details and what scientists have said and even if you don't believe that it points that that it leads us to God, you have to agree that the facts are at least leaning in that direction. So if anybody's looking for an intellectual excuse for faith, I would say this book means to be that excuse and to present as much of that kind of evidence as possible.
0: I love the way you close the book. This is the last paragraph. Maybe you can comment on it. This is the difficult situation in which we find ourselves. Everything says that to open ourselves to this God is to take a great risk. And it is a risk. But what if the facts say that taking this risk is a far safer bet than not taking this risk? What is swimming to shore to stop floating down the great river along which we've been traveling is a life-saving action because the river is getting stronger and faster with every second. And eventually we won't be able to go to shore because the current will be far too powerful and swift. And only then will we hear the roaring
1: waterfall that will destroy us. Well, I, I think that's simply um, true. This, this idea that if you ignore the facts, if you ignore uh, science, if you ignore truth and evidence, on some level there's, you're making a moral choice. And I think so. People have to be really honest with themselves. Are you ignoring this because you just don't like it? And maybe you should look at your motivations. Why would you turn away from something if it's true? Why does it make you uncomfortable? What does that say about you? I really think, as I say, that it's no different than science. It it doesn't matter what we like. The question is, what is? What is the nature of things? And we are, I think, accountable for how we... Uh, remain open to things, even if that challenges some presupposition or something like that. And so this book is meant as a gentle, uh, civil, um, way of opening people up to that conversation and to say, really, have no fear. This is, uh, uh, if there is a God, he's on your side. This is not about, uh, you know, y- you having to become some fool. Uh, and I-, I just think that that's important to state at this point, uh, in the culture. And again, this is, this is for everybody. This is not a quote-unquote Christian book. This is a, no more Christian book than, you know, uh, uh, a, any book on science or, or, or anything like that. If, if we're human beings and we have curiosity about these things, I say let's, let's have a conversation about the curiosity. Let's throw everything in and see what we come up with.
0: My guest today on the Beeson podcast is Eric Metaxas. We've been talking about his brand-new book, Miracles, What They Are, Why They Happen, and How They Can Change Your Life published by Dutton here in New York City. Thank you, Eric, for this wonderful conversation.
1: My pleasure and privilege. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson
0: Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, Beesondivinity.com.